This is the War Room Roundtable podcast, the show that takes you around the world to share interviews with some of the most successful and relevant businessmen and women on the planet, hear their stories, and get the most important business lessons they've learned on the road to success, and get exclusive advice on how to implement their successes into your life and business. The War Room Roundtable is brought to you by your hosts, Jason Miller, CEO of Strategic Advisor Board, and Philip Llanos, CEO of Own the Rhythm, and former podcast host for Entrepreneur and Inc. Magazine. Welcome to the War Room. Jason and I are happy to have you here. Leo Popic, welcome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, we already had a great conversation as usual before and after we hit record. We're always having these great moments uh, that do a lot. Uh, not only do they help us establish a connection, first of all, uh, but also there's like moments of value that you just you might miss if you weren't looking. Uh, but I hope to capture that here. Uh, and my favorite question to sort of do that in service of that is, Leo, do you come from a family of entrepreneurs? So I don't really come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my dad was in corporate America pretty much his whole career, uh, based in South America for the most part. We did come up uh, to live in St. Louis, Missouri when I was growing up, but then he went back and settled down there in Argentina. But it was really a corporate life. On the side, because he was an agriculture engineer, um, he did have some land that initially was very, very little, you know, maybe like five, 10 acres. And then as he... As his career progressed and he started making it to higher roles in corporate corporate America, he started buying a little bit more land. He was never a huge landowner, but uh, right now he, he has a ranch uh, in Argentina. Um, and, and in that sense, he is a business owner today. But it was sort of what came out of his retirement and uh, progressively throughout his career as a hobby and then initial, you know, initially as a hobby and then it grew into what it now is. My mom, uh, she was she was working with kids with special needs, you know, and she she would work at hospitals. You know, when she when we were babies, she would work from home, but it was always as an employee. Um, and then when we moved to the state, she couldn't work due to immigration issues, and so she took courses. When she went back to Argentina, she decided to open a stained glass studio. So the first time I really thought of my parents as owning a business was seeing my mom you know, probably at the age of 40, open a stained glass studio. Uh, but it was more to her a hobby and a passion. She never really saw it as uh, an entrepreneurial venture. I mean, I know she was proud, proud to have a business, but she would sometimes uh, donate her stuff. She would sometimes, if it was for a church or a synagogue, you know, um, or somebody in the family, she would give those those beautiful pieces of art as giveaways. So I never really thought of my parents as entrepreneurs, and certainly their parents were were never entrepreneurs. They, were, my grandfathers were corporate uh, employees. My grandmothers uh, didn't work for the most part. One of them did for a little bit, uh, but as an employee. So no. But what's really funny is that me and my siblings. I have three siblings. We all became entrepreneurs, at least at some point in our careers. Um, you know, my sisters have a dance studio in, in Buenos Aires, Argentina. My brother has a, a private equity firm headquartered out of uh, Brazil. And I'm here in the greater Miami, just outside Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, and I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my whole life, except for 
an eight month period at the start of the pandemic. But uh, that's a side note. Wow. That is an interesting story. And also, thank you for going into such detail and doing it well. I feel like you've given that a lot of thought and I appreciate that. Uh, the, not everybody has that answer that well thought out. A lot of people kind of are searching when they're talking, but it seems like you've put a lot of thought into your own life. If there's anything that I've gathered, even just hearing the way you explain that is that you, you take, it seems to me, a lot of time to glim, glean insights from your own life uh, as a general practice. If I were to take a guess at the way that you articulate yourself, that's something that I pick up. And I guess it makes sense given that, given that what you do is coaching uh, CEOs. There's no way you could do that if you didn't do that. So that's, that's a good sign already. Uh, with that said, then, knowing that that's your life and your siblings uh, were able to do that, You've got the equity firm, the dance studio, right? Your parents themselves the, with the ranch and the, the glass dance studio and you yourself. Now, how did this come about? Like you said, we don't have to dive into the, the eight month period or the eight week period. Or whatever. Yeah. Uh, what I, what I want to get to is, so yeah. you've been an entrepreneur your entire life. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that leading peers was not your first company. <laughs> it was not. Um, growing up, I I, I loved uh, tinkering with business ideas, you know. And as a little kid, I did a lot of uh, things to to make to make money, which were um, kind of odd for for the age. I mean, anything from starting a tennis clinic during a summer, which we repeated the following summer in public courts. Uh, with an older guy when I was 14, he was 18, right? <clears throat> and and um, to, to things like selling, you know, gum at school, I know that that's not that unique, but uh, selling bracelets as a little kid, that's not that unique. But we did a lot of things, um, my brother and I, I also did a lot of things on my own with other friends, um, obviously raked leaves, mowed lawns, did gardens, gardens and all that. Um, but at some point, all of that started to veer toward the social entrepreneurship and uh, even even more political during my late teens and my 20s. I started to get involved in nonprofits after spending time in student council here in the States. We moved back to Argentina and the country was a mess, hyperinflation, lots of poverty. And so uh, I started getting really involved in launching a couple of nonprofits and working as a volunteer on the side of being a student in high school and college. And trying to give back to a society that, you know, my parents were from, and I didn't really feel like I was fully a part of it. Um, but that just kind of made me more focused on social issues. And so I studied international relations and political science. I, I got my master's degree in the States, spent a couple of years at Harvard getting a master's degree in international political economy. And then I decided to go back to Argentina and I got involved in public policy, uh, think tanks and whatnot, wrote a book on cur- you know, currency, common currency for South America, uh, was involved in several um, more academic pursuits, like teaching at university, you know, on comparative uh, economic policy. And that's what I did in my 20s. I mean, I also had a couple of positions in government. I launched the political party. I was a candidate in two elections. And when when I got to be 30, I realized that there were beautiful aspects of that whole career. But I wasn't being able to really enjoy a personal life. Um, I wasn't seeing that things were going in the direction of starting a family and having some prosperity or freedom with that family. And so I had a crisis. Everybody talks about their midlife crisis at the age of you know 40 or 50. Mine was when I hit 30. I said, what am I doing with, with my life? So that was my first big pivot. 
And I realized if I want to have this freedom and be an entrepreneur, I'm going to have, have to add a business to, to this whole thing. So because of all the things I'd done as a little kid to make money, I had that inclination. And I'd seen that my parents at that point were already starting their own businesses. And, and um, it, it just was what felt right. So I said, I'm going to start a business. And I had very little money. Um, the money I had was all in real estate. And the last thing you wanted to do in Argentina was put it in a bank because the government could keep that for itself. So I almost had no liquidity. Uh, so with a business partner, we launched this city tour company to help foreigners coming into Buenos Aires, Argentina, have good experiences. Because of my languages, you know, I grew up in Brazil, so I'm fluent in Portuguese. I, I learned French along the way because once you know a lot of languages, it's easier to learn a new one. And I studied international relations, so French was relevant. And the English, of course, it was a good business for me to be in. I was also passionate about the city and the country because the whole political and public policy thing took me to really understand its identity. So that business really took off. And I started to realize there was a gap in how well things were going for me in the business world and how difficult things were in the political world in a third world country or developing or emerging country. And that's when I started to realize maybe I'm trying to force this thing of, you know, being a, a political leader. And I just need to kind of go with what is happening. The signals that I'm getting uh, from above are revealing that maybe my calling was more in entrepreneurship itself and having a business that fulfills a purpose uh, in society and makes me feel like uh, I'm living my best life is what I need to do. And once I gave up politics altogether and, 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 and that whole social entrepreneurship stage when I was about 33, that's when things started to really move in the right direction for me. And I started finding my, my, my real center of gravity, which is being a family man with a business. Man, just awesome. And, and before I go any further, I want to let Jason chime in. I feel like he has a lot to say on that. That is what you call one hell of a story, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> I mean, when you start looking at, uh, you know, from another country, right? Going back, doing all this bobble back and forth, right? And, and then also the political scene, not the political scene. And then all these, these intricate things of, of being a part of all this different stuff. It's, uh, that's a very, very unique thing. And most people would never even fathom all of that, right? I mean, we all have a story, right? But most of it is like, well, we did this chunk for, we did this for 15 years. And then we did this for 10 years. And then we did this for 10 years. Not all that, right? That's a lot of stuff and a lot of experience because I can't imagine that you have to be about my age. So a lot of stuff to pack into a small amount of time, especially doing most of that before you're even 30. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's quite a story, my man. Thank you. Yeah, it's my story. I, I, I don't have another one to tell, but uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I'm sticking to it, right? <laughs> no, no it, there's definitely a really interesting. Uh, crossovers because like Jason was saying not that many people who are in business started out at such a young age 
on a completely different trajectory in terms of like being socially conscious and driven to help improve uh, economies. First of all, right. We're talking like larger scale. This is something that like enterprise level uh, people are thinking in maybe the States, right? Like, Oh, now that we have millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, let's find a way to sort of give back, you know, and maybe we'll help some people buy houses through a program that they have to apply for. And they may or may not get, you were on the, you were boots on the ground involved in a, sorry about that, in an economy that, that is rather difficult to navigate. Even now, I've, I've, we recently had someone uh, from Argentina, we were talking to that it, the problems are still pretty difficult to deal with. Uh, but then to hear that you were also able to find within yourself that, that, self-awareness to say, hmm, I'm really good at this other thing that I'm doing, this business thing. And as I get older and I begin to realize more and more like who I am and what I want, I realize that whatever I thought I wanted in the in the in the public policy scene and this and that, uh, while I could continue to go down this route, the opportunity cost for the things that are really important to me, which is family, number one. Uh, and there's no doubt about that when we hear the story in the beginning of the conversation, right? How well you know your family, how close you are. Uh, but also business, something you've been doing since you were a kid, just for fun, because that's how you live. You're like, oh, let's sell this. Let's sell that. What do you think we could do? Tennis clinics? Like, come on, like you were just always creative, right? It's a creative, profitable process to be in good business, to do good business is creative and it's profitable. And so the politics scene cannot be easy because there's a lot that you have your hands tied on in terms of being able to make decisions. Uh, so going into a fully free place where you can make all the decisions and have all the impact you want in business, I think, and this is just me listening to your story. I think that was like an awesome choice to make. And I'm glad that you were so in tune with yourself and the universe as a whole to be like, yeah, I think this is where I'm going to go because it's interesting. I'm 33 right? To give you context, right? So you said that's when things started changing for you. And a lot of things I myself have recently let go of so I can focus on more of what I'm doing like right now with you and how that's changing my level of impact across the people in the world. I think it's a really interesting thing to point out. Now we're here in the story, right? We're going to talk about how leading peers comes into the, into the fray because we know that you're on the business journey now, but now you're helping CEOs succeed, right? So you so you went from public policy and you, all that to now you're like, all right, CEOs, I know exactly what you guys need to do. And I think it makes a lot of sense that you do, knowing what we know about you right now. But I want to hear you tell me how this whole thing comes in or the origin story. Absolutely. Well, there's a couple of very important pivots in my life, Philip, that... that uh, really changed chapters altogether. And I mentioned the first pivot toward being an entrepreneur and focusing on being a family man with a business. But one thing I want to add to it is my brother uh, came down with cancer and it was really, really scary. And we grew up so united, him and I, because we kept moving from one place to another. So I, we really didn't have friends for many years. Um, you know, after a couple of years, we had to renew our friendships but he was always there. So when when he had that cancer that could have been a uh, you know a, a life ending experience, I mean certainly it felt that way for a full year of chemo and and so on. That really helped to put things in perspective. It just accelerated the what what matters. You know what do I want my life to be about? So 
I want to put that out there because a lot of people who are listening to this podcast are probably going through hard times. A lot of them are probably succeeding and, and having a great phase of life. But when things are difficult, sometimes it's when you really dig deep. Uh, so that's one, uh, one, one pivot. So after that, I was I became this this entrepreneur in the travel space doing these city tours. City tours led to some trips, you know, with air and hotels. Then it led to a corporation becoming a client and doing an incentive travel program. Eventually, that became a full event management company that did meetings and conferences, you know, international corporate meetings and conferences and incentive trips and so on. So I did that for about 17 years from the age of 30 to 40, late 46, that's what I did. And now comes the other critical moment that led to leading peers. When I was 46, a couple of years ago, I'm 48 now, uh, the pandemic starts. And what it does to this revenue and, and, and this business that we've been growing with a team, you know, it started with me alone working from my house. But after 16 years, we had tens of employees, roughly 50 in total, working full-time in 10 different countries with rented offices everywhere. Our company was doing eight digits in terms of annual revenue. And all of a sudden, that went to zero. You know, people talk about my our sales dropped by 50% or 80% or, you know, these were hard times or they talk about the Great Depression. For those of us who endured this, it was a total shutdown for an indefinite amount of time because nobody knew how long it would take to get out of it, you know, for a vaccine to come out, the effectiveness of that vaccine, people's willingness to take the vaccine, and how long to rebuild the confidence around international travel, particularly for events, and particularly for corporations that have a lot of liability. So at that point, and this was gut-wrenching, I had to really uh, think long and hard about whether or not I wanted to continue in the only industry I had ever been fully involved in as an entrepreneur. And I made the decision really quickly that I wasn't going to stay. I, I couldn't sell the business. Mm -hmm. It had been worth millions. Now it was worth nothing. Um, I didn't want to close it because there was so much value there. You know, we had among our clients, the 10 largest media and incentive travel companies in the world that took, you know, blood, sweat and tears to build. So after about a year of thinking of different options, I left it in the hands of somebody else. I still own the business fully, but I don't operate it anymore at all. I spent probably two hours a month just in touch with the, the new general manager of the company. This freed me over the course of that first year of the pandemic to start something new. And I wanted to capitalize on what I had learned and it clearly couldn't be my industry. My industry was decimated. So it had to be what I learned from a from the standpoint of the role I occupied in that journey. It had been the role of the CEO, the role of the entrepreneur, the business owner. So I said, I want to focus on that. But nobody's going to hire me as a CEO in an industry that I haven't worked in. So I'm going to have to create a venture. And thinking about what my life had been about and I'd, what I'd been passionate about all throughout, kind of connecting the dots, looking back, I realized the things that kept coming up were I was passionate about entrepreneurship and leadership and personal development, empowering people, professional development, and motivating the crap 
out of people who wanted to do good things. So I said, that's my, that's my gig. That's what I need to focus on. And at the time, I remember I was a member of Vistage, you know, a very well-known organization. Yeah. And, and I felt like this is the last expense I want to cut. I, 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 I cut just about every expense for my former company. And I asked myself, why am I having such a hard time letting go of this expense? I mean, it's a lot of money in a company that has no revenue. And I realized I love being among entrepreneurs. I love learning from them. I love contributing to them. I love the change we're making. And that's when it dawned on me, there has to be a solution in the market today for somebody just like me, who needs, who's, a, who's a, an entrepreneur, but needs to find their new company, their new idea. It can't be that high a barrier of entry. It can't be like EO, the entrepreneur's organization, which says, pay me $11,300 for your enrollment fee and for your first year in advance. And then you can come in here and come into your first meeting. There's gotta be a way to try this out and see if it's a good fit for you. And so I decided I was gonna create the most accessible and efficient CEO community that ever existed. One where there was no enrollment fee, one where there was no pay a year in advance, you just pay month to month and you can leave at any time without any penalty. The question was, how do you make this as good, if not better, while keeping it accessible and efficient? And that was the challenge, figuring this out. And two years ago, figuring this out in a world with, with lockdowns and, and people you know, stuck at home. And how that would look as people got out of the pandemic. So that became the architecture I needed to build the service offering, the membership experience for leading peers. And I'm just obsessed with being creative about designing new organizations, new solutions. So I've loved the process of, of building this thing and I keep building and I keep refining it. And there's so much to go. I mean, we're definitely a work in progress two years later, but I'm just, you know, really, really enjoying the ride. And, and, and the biggest pride that I take in all of this is that none of the members who have joined us you know, after coming out of their first informative meeting and into the second one, have then decided to leave the organization after two years. And so this accessible solution doesn't mean that people, just because they can leave whenever they want, choose to leave. In fact, nobody did choose to leave. So it works if you make it sticky. And the only way to make things sticky in, in the business world today is really deliver a lot of value. Oh, man. I there's such an important lesson to the way you just shared how it is leading peers was founded. It's something I've tried to talk about for a while, but now that I have your illustrious example to show when a leader can explain the thinking behind a decision that they've made the way you just have, you are truly a leader, right? I, I try to tell people this all the time after 2000 interviews, what I have found is the best leaders can do that. They can explain to someone how they arrived to a decision they are making and letting you know it was being taken. And that's exactly what you did with helping tell the story, another part of being able to explain your thinking, right, of how it is you led to here. I, I, have, I have worked with, with EO. For, they were one of my first clients when I first became freelance. And I got to tell you, I know exactly what you're talking about. And it is crazy because business owners all over the world should have more options. And I'm glad that leading peers is now one of them and that I know about it now. You know, it's it's truly a thing that I know is creating value just 
after hearing the way that you broke it down and the thinking behind it. And it really sells itself because now people can see you're not selling anything. You're really creating a service because you understand that business fundamentally at the end of the day has to deliver value or it shouldn't exist at all. And that's all the qualities that are built into it. And in the interest of time, because I know that we can keep going further into this, where do you prefer for people to connect and, and get in touch with you? Well, there's two ways. I mean, anybody can always write me an email and I'll, I always get to all of them. So my email is LP, which are my initials and also the initials of leading peers, right? So <laughs> Leo Popic and leading peers, LP <laughs> at leadingpeers.com. The other way is people can just go to our website, you know, leadingpeers.com and they'll have a contact form. Those do find a way to make, you know, they, 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 they eventually end up in my inbox. Uh, so everybody's welcome to do that. They can also sign up for our free newsletter, which is called CEO Insights. And every month we're releasing content, but we're not trying to sell anything through the newsletter. We're trying to share insights that are uh, timely. For example, we've been writing the first half of the year about things like how to navigate uh, inflation or a slowdown in growth or cyber attacks. You know, the types of things that we're dealing with right now as CEOs and entrepreneurs of, of small and mid-sized businesses. So those are some ways that they can do it. Some people just apply outright from our website. You can definitely find that. I do want to be clear that the in-person peer advisory boards are all in South Florida today. If somebody is not in South Florida, in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, or Palm Beach, they can apply. And if they join, they're going to have to do the virtual uh, option of peer advisory board. Uh, they'll still be invited to our events in South Florida, but we are going to gradually build the national organization. At this point, we are close to getting to our 100 members here in South Florida. And so next year is when we start opening up a couple of other markets, uh, not too far from where we are here, and eventually to other states for the in-person peer advisory board. So it is going to take a while to, 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 to have the scale some of these organizations that we've mentioned, YPO is another one that comes to mind. But what, what I'm seeing is, is, is really, really rewarding in and of itself that the members that we have um, are, are just really enjoying it and they're getting so much value. They are connecting and they're collaborating for their personal growth, but also for their businesses to grow. Our mission, Philip, it's interesting because it ties into everything I wanted to do in politics or in nonprofit organizations. It's to help CEOs succeed so that the people and businesses they serve prosper. No, man, I, I, I understand exactly what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm glad that somebody is, uh, we can never have enough options because options force other companies to do better, you know, and, and given your experience, exactly your experience, I believe that no one is more qualified uh, to to be able to do the kind of thing that you're doing at a national level. I can see the way that's working because of your history in public policy and what you understand about that and organizing people and being able to raise for a campaign or this or that. I just see there's so many crossovers that it's interesting how your story laid out. But I also want to give Jason a chance to to chime in because I know that he's got a lot to say about the powerful things you're doing. Well, first of all, the, the value-driven part is just, it's so important, right? Because I've heard people say stuff like, 
wow, value, 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 value. You got to ask people to buy. You got to lead with value and you got to lead with value for however long it takes. That's the key. This isn't the same world it was two, three years ago. It's just not. It's a whole different place. And we either, you know, spend the time to create the value in the marketplace that that shows people that we're just not the next charlatan that happened during the pandemic, right? Because um, we all know, I call them COVID coaches. That's what I call them. Um, you know, they worked at McDonald's and got fired and went and got their $35 certificate and ha, I'm a coach, right? So um, no business experience whatsoever. So the challenge is how do you overcome all of that? You lead with a lot of value that shows, look, we know what the hell we're doing. We're not that guy that called you yesterday that you found out was working down at Sherman Williams last week, right? (laughs) (laughs) And, And we need more people that can dump that value in the marketplace and share that value up front because eventually we'll push all the garbage back out. It'll happen, right? Trash in, trash out eventually. Um, And we'll finally get to that point. I mean, how many LinkedIn messages do you get about coaching every day? Hundreds. (laughs) There cannot be that many successful coaches. (laughs) That's not possible, right? Um, But those are the things you and I have to battle in our companies because we have a lot of crossover with what we do. Um, and, and I would say your, our models are very similar and, you know, it's because of, you know, guys like you and I, we're dumping all this value into the marketplace and we're, we're fixing all these wounds now. Right. And that's important. And for that, thank you for being one of those guys that uh, is out there doing that and doing it in a holistic way because we need more of it. Well, Jason, I appreciate every word you just said, but in the in the one call you and I have been together and speaking before this interview, it was great meeting you. You mentioned something that stood out to me about how your company bases its compensation on the value it delivers to its clients. That immediately stood out to me. Very few people are willing to put value first and right. then base their compensation and their whole model around it. And, and that's what we've done by saying, hey, you can leave any time. You just pay the first month. And our fees are up there in, in our website. It's no mystery. You go to the website, leadingpeers.com, go to the application form, and it says 280 a month. And it stays there for 12 months until August of next year, where there might be an adjustment for inflation or whatever it may be. So our members know that this is very accessible. I mean, they're running businesses that are doing six to seven, sometimes eight-digit revenue. You have to be the CEO of a business to join. Uh, and, and that business has to have at least $200,000 of revenue to join. So we don't have you know people who have just start, started out or are doing this as a side gig. Our average member is doing about 2 to $5 million of revenue. And so to them, this monthly uh, fee is really, really small for the typical member. Uh, and, and, and that's what really pushes us to have to deliver that value. But in your model, it's brilliant the way you've articulated it, and it's very unique as well. So 
uh, kudos. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, as somebody who's learning your story and someone who has watched Jason firsthand do like you, you two are some of my favorite entrepreneurs. And I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, but I can already, I can already see just the kind of, of work that you're doing and how it, you're almost like the last, each one of you is actually like the last person in mind in all the work that you're doing. And, and, and it's, it's leadership, you know, in its purest form is what that is. And, and I hope that whoever's listening really takes that from this conversation because it's really rare for someone to be good at leadership because half the time when leadership isn't working, they don't know that it's not. And that's the sad part. They have no idea that their leadership isn't working. But this leadership, the good thing, the, the interesting thing is that good leadership, also nobody knows about it, that it's working because good leaders are making sure everybody else is being taken care of. So it's a really strange position to be in. But I'm very grateful that the more I learn about people who are like this, the happier I am, because I know that that's what's taking place, transformation and value distribution. With that said, if you could, for a moment, grab the ears of a would-be entrepreneur or someone more senior who's facing a huge obstacle, what would you say to them, Leo, if you had like five seconds and you knew you could help them with just in general, because I know specific advice is better, but generally speaking, what's a rule of thumb someone should keep in mind? Well, you know, Gina Wickman, who who started EOS, um, is, is doing something really interesting called the entrepreneurial leap. And he's got a set of questions that, you know, you can a- answer online and it tells you if you are or you're not an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. You know, and I'm not saying this from a position of, uh, you know, superiority. Some people, uh, they, you know, Albert Einstein, probably a million times smarter than, than, than any entrepreneur out there, but he's just not made to be an entrepreneur, you know, and, and some of the most gifted are artists and, and, and uh, some of the most gifted people in the world, athletes, they were made to do what they do and not to be entrepreneurs. So the first thing I would say to anybody struggling, a senior a person, you know, somebody in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, who's struggling is you know, get to know if you are one. And if you're young and, and you're thinking of venturing in, I would, I would do the same thing. Um, it's okay. Not, I mean, I wanted to be a politician. It wasn't really what I was meant to be, though. And so the first thing is, is that. And then once you know that you are an entrepreneur, then everything else you've heard entrepreneurs say really applies, like that you have to be, you know, relentless and persevere in the face of adversity and all and all of that. Uh, just keep working at it, keep refining it, keep improving your your idea, your solution to make it more unique, to make it more relevant, to make it more valuable. Um, so so that's what I would say in a nutshell. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you said that. If you can qualify that you do fit in with like the idea of being an entrepreneur, then all those things that you hear really do apply, like sticking to it, because if you're sticking to it, but you're just not that person, it's, it's, it's just not going to work. And you're so right about that. So right about that. Interesting distinction. Now, uh, I think it's time for the grand finale. Yeah, Jason? It is. All right. Uh, Leo, if you could have picked anybody in the world based on everything we just covered today, to be here today, to join us in this conversation, dead or alive, who would you have loved to have had here and why? Man, 
hard to pick somebody. If it's somebody from this world, it's always going to be my grandpa because he's not going to get to hear it. He's up in heaven. Great role model to me of a family man with, with just a great uh, work career. My parents are going to get to see it. Uh, my, my brother, my friends. Uh, so I'll be happy to share the link with them. But you know, I think at the end of the day, if I have to go with one person, I would I would pick the the man who you know most comes to mind in terms of helping me in my journey, and it's Jesus Christ. I'm the son of a, a Jew and and a Catholic. Uh, I chose to to become a Catholic and a Christian, and uh, been very gifted, uh, very blessed uh, with with the presence of of Jesus as a role model in my life. Um, and so before this call, you know, I you know ask for his Holy Spirit uh, to help me, to guide me in speaking with you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to say that I, I get fuel from just uh, the great teachings and example of uh, of Jesus Christ himself. So I, I would love for him to be here. I, I have a hard time picking another human being over him. Sorry. No, I, no, I, I think <laughs> like, if there's anything I've learned about entrepreneurs is uh, the ability to have faith regardless of where it's coming from, is an absolute essential. You don't build what isn't seen with eyes yet without having faith. And that's what entrepreneurs do, regardless of however, whatever vehicle they use to use it. Uh, so I am wholeheartedly glad that you said that. And uh, I can't thank you enough for really taking, uh, taking your heart uh, and putting it right here in front of us uh, for this conversation. I know for a fact this conversation will provide value for anyone listening. Uh, with that said, uh, I usually allow Jason to close us out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I suspect you and I are going to climb some mountains together really soon. Um, now, now that I know more about you, um, I, I think there's some trenches for us to, to uh, hop in together and make some things happen, no doubt. Um, but there again, we have 168 hours in a week. I think it's 168. I hope yeah. I haven't been saying that wrong. No, it's right. It's 200 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> but no, thanks for just taking 30 minutes to come by here and really drop value, not just on the audience, but on us too, right? Because yeah. I truly believe that if you walk away from any conversation and you didn't learn something, you just weren't paying attention. And that's the beauty behind this podcast is I learn five or six new things every week. Well, it's more than that, but, <laughs> but, but we just get to learn from so many different people that have so many different backgrounds and so many different opinions and, and they're all just amazing. And thank you for dropping a lot of bombs here. And there was a lot to glean from that. And you probably got to watch it at least twice and to get it all. So thank you. And we appreciate you being here. Just want to end with thank you guys so much. And I can't wait to share this episode with our members and our community, because I think you're doing a great work, really great work here in helping entrepreneurs uh, figure things out that uh, takes a, it takes a long time. And uh, through the experience of others and seeing different ways of going about it, it starts to become much more clearer. If, as you say, Jason, you're really listening. So thank you guys, really. That's right. Right awesome. on. Cheers. Cheers.
Thanks for listening to the War Room Roundtable with your hosts, Jason Miller and Philip Lanos. Please leave your feedback and visit strategicadvisorboard.com to get the latest and greatest business advisement on the planet. Follow us on social media for updates. And always remember, if you can dream it and believe it, then you can go achieve it. We'll see you in the next episode.